Welcome to episode 33 of the Lace Em Up podcast. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. We're going to quickly run through the East and the West finals uh, before we talk about the Stanley Cup finals. Uh, a quick preview of that series, which uh, will probably be uh, underway by the time uh, either you're listening to this podcast or uh, Game 1 will be done shortly after uh, you finish listening to it. Um, also on top of that, the MasterCard Memorial Cup. Um, the finals, um, by the time you're listening to this, will be done, but by the time we're recording it, um, it'll be the hours leading up to uh, the final. Uh, we'll tell you who's in it, uh, who has impressed, and I'll talk a, a little or a lot about how much of uh, a dominating factor Mitch Marner and the London Knights have been. Uh, also, uh, Brett talks about a Bruins signing. I talk about an Ottawa Senator retiring, and Dustin Brown stripped of his captaincy what does this mean for his future in L.A.? We will uh, delve into that in great detail. Um, before we go any further, my uh, weekly shout-outs. Uh, this this week, it's to all the uh, NHL players past and present who have done the number 33, the notable St. Patrick Waugh and Henrik Sedin. Uh, Zdeno Chera also headlining that list. But also uh, a couple of Ottawa connections. Don Beaupre, Chris Draper, Adrian Acoin. Um, to name a few, uh, Dustin Bufflin, of course, big buff wears number 33 for the Jets, um, base Bataglia, just because his name is awesome, uh, Brian Boucher, of course, uh, during his days in the NHL, he wore number 33, and Yutaka Fukufuji, the only Japanese goalie to be drafted by an NHL franchise, at least to my knowledge, uh, and we also have a, a couple of guys that played in the 80s and 90s, Dirk Graham, Benoit Hogue. Uh, Frederick Modine, during his days with the Lightning, huge, productive defenseman. Ziggy Palfi, another name that I love to say. Michael Pekka also uh, wore number 33 for one season only. Um, Pete Peters, a goalie, and uh, Zarly Zalapski, a defenseman, uh, also wore number 33 uh, throughout their careers. Uh, and lastly, the late Mark Reeds, uh, Ottawa Senators assistant coach who passed away uh, just over a year ago. So to all players past and present who have worn number 33 in the NHL, this podcast is for you. And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. Did you, uh, did you say Chara? Yes, I said Chara. Oh, you said beginning. Chara at the beginning. Okay. I must have missed that. No. Um, you also forgot Larry Bird, but... Uh, <laughs> uh, well, another popular figure in Boston that uh, is tall enough to be Zidane yeah. Chara and maybe a hockey player. That was, that was a bad joke, but yeah. yeah. So, uh, social media um, stuff, we have Lace Him Up, uh, Lace, Lace Him Up on Facebook. Yeah. Uh... Lace M Podcast on Twitter. Uh, and then if you have any questions, feedback, uh, email us at laceupbag at gmail.com. Um, and then, uh, you know, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and, um, you know, give us good ratings there. And SoundCloud, subscribe there too if you want. Um, yeah. Or if you already have and you're listening to us right now, then your work is done. Yeah, you're good. Um, all right, let's get started. Um, so, 
yeah, I guess we'll start with the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, yeah. yeah, so that was the Penguins Lightning. Uh, right, we have the. I guess we'll. I mean, we can talk about the Penguins later, but yeah, I, I think the, I think we left off in that series uh, just before the start of Game Six. So the right. Lightning were up three two at that point. Yeah. Um, and I. So I actually predicted before we get. Yeah. Sorry, I predicted the Penguins Sharks final. Um. I feel happy. Um, I think you surpassed me in the amount of shots called in this uh, calendar year, but maybe I don't know. I feel like yeah, you're, you're close. Know. You're creeping up. <laughs> Let's anyway. see. Um, I didn't really the, keep track. Much. Yeah, me, me neither. But um, the uh, yeah, so we can. Uh, but we'll do the Eastern Conference Finals, I guess review. Um, so yeah, it was uh, interest. It was a lot like. It felt like a lot like that. The game six and game seven felt a lot like the wins that Pittsburgh had um, before. Uh, just a lot of depth and you know shots on uh, on Vasilevsky. Um, I am curious though. Like it is interesting considering that. Um, well, Stamkos played in game seven, but I wonder what would like would. If Bishop played the entire series, what would have been the difference? Yeah. If Stamkos played the entire series, what would have been the difference? Um, and same, I don't know if Strawman was healthy a hundred percent. So yeah. Uh, see, the interesting thing is, and Glenn Healy um, mentioned this at the end of the series. He thought the only reason the Tampa Bay Lightning were in this series is because Andre Vasilevsky was in goal, and he was doing all he could to keep a minute. So I don't know if Ben Bishop would have made that much of a difference if Vasilevsky was their best player throughout the series, or one of their best. Right. So Well, Bishop's a good Stam- goalie, Stamkos though. definitely is intimidating shot. I think it makes a difference, no question. Yeah, but Bishop, I mean, Bishop uh, is a Vesna Trophy finalist and was one of the main reasons why the Lightning went far last year. Uh, last playoffs, mm-hmm. so I mean I don't know. I feel like maybe I mean yeah. Don't get me wrong. V- Vasilevsky played really well. I mean they you know he was one win away from the Stanley Cup final. Throughout the but, majority of this series, Pittsburgh was out shooting Tampa, and by yeah. wide margins too. So that too. That, that's but, that's to be noted. But there's also momentum swings. I mean, yeah. Game Six, Tampa could have been up one nothing. That Duran goal gets called back on the offside. Pittsburgh's up three nothing. Yeah, if that goal against Drewing, uh, if that goal for Drewing counts, then you never know. It could be a different story. And then yeah. Boyle gets those True. two goals to get him back in it, and then Pittsburgh gets um, another goal, and Brian Rust seals it late. So um, it, it's the momentum changes. Pittsburgh got to the majority of them, and that was the difference in Game Six. And, and ultimately, it comes down to the fact that Tampa had two chances to close them out. They couldn't do it in Game 6, and that's playing with fire in Game 7 because Pittsburgh came out flying. Um, and, and you talk about unsung heroes. Brian Russ showed off his inner Max Talbot in Game 7. First two-goal performance in a Game 7 by Pittsburgh Penguins since Max Talbot in 2009. Of course, that uh, turned out to be the final game of the Stanley Cup Finals against the Red Wings. So... Um, his three goals in those two games were critical for Pittsburgh in winning this series. And, and, and he, he was ultimately a difference. I think three of the final four goals Pittsburgh scored in that series were all Brian Rust. 
and he hasn't scored a lot uh, in, in the playoffs this year. So to come up big in that's in those circumstances is is huge, and it shows just how it shows just how much depth Pittsburgh has up front, and how much they can burn you if you're not careful. Yeah, uh, that's true. Yeah, uh, I mean that's what I've been saying all for the past couple of months is how much depth they have. It's not just Crosby, Kessel, and Malkin for them because Crosby and Malkin haven't really shown up at all uh, this playoffs. But um, although Crosby had three game-winning goals in this series, but um, in like in just in terms in just in general in terms of what they used to do. Um, they haven't been as relied on as much as they used to, and I think that makes them even more scary um, than what they, you know, what the previous uh, teams um, of the Penguins' past. So, um, and I, yeah. I don't think the addition of Stamkos into the lineup, even though it was sudden, I didn't expect it. I was a bit, I was a bit surprised, yeah, not really, but I was a bit surprised when I heard the news that he was playing in Game Seven. Mm. But does that really inject any kind of fear, knowing that he's probably not hundred percent? And he hasn't played in the entire playoffs? Uh, no, but... He, he had his crash, but he wasn't a difference maker in the game, I don't think. No, he wasn't, but I don't think it was like... I mean, he still played well. It's not... Yeah. I mean, I, I I would imagine the doctors would say like, oh yeah, he's, he's cleared to play kind of thing. So I don't know if he... Um, yeah, he's good enough to play, but is he... The old Stamkos that everyone knows and goalies fear. Probably not, no. I, probably not, no. But, I mean, yeah, I don't know. But um, It'll be interesting to see how they handle the Vasilevsky thing because now yeah. that you've got not just a solid backup but a capable starter. Yep, and speaking and on the other end, that's the same with Matt Murray and the Penguins because when Fleury was in, he was okay, yeah. but he wasn't what uh, Matt Murray was capable of, so... Maybe Memory has the starting job. Who knows? Because um, he was, you know, they put him in for Game Five. They put Flurry in for Game Five. Uh, Flurry gives up four goals. A lot of them weren't his fault, though. But, no, um, no, but they, they, they weren't. Are, it was, it was, it was merely to inject some to life like, in the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah, it w- wasn't really his fault. But then Murray took over in Game Six and Game Seven and was pretty good. Both do or die games. He won both, yeah, and he won both. So I think, I think Murray actually has the job, and Flurry's days in Pittsburgh are numbered. So um, we shall see. See, it, it's tough to tell because again, I've alluded to this so many times on the show. His run is so Cam Ward esque. Yeah, and you look at where Cam Ward is now. Uh, Cam Ward played unbelievable in that playoff run, mm-hmm. and while he's shown shades of brilliance uh, that he can play like that. He hasn't been as hot in, in, in that playoff run uh, since that playoff run. He, he he hasn't been, in my opinion, even close to that kind of goalie. So I think they'll give Fleury the benefit of the doubt until, you know, year two or year three of Matt Murray and and and, and how he responds to playing more games. Yeah, that's like, true. It's, 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 a good, it's a good start for Matt Murray, no question. And he's definitely proven that, I think, over Jeff Zakoff, he's a better option uh, as a plan B for Marc-Andre Fleury if he gets off right. to a slow start. But do I give him the reins? Yeah, probably not. Not full-time. Yeah, they may... But you roll with the hot hand at the same time. you got to roll yeah. with the hot hand. Yeah, they, they may... Uh, for that reason. 
they may give them like um, I forgot what the phrase is, but they may give them like double, um, like what uh, the Blues did with Elliot and Allen last year, or yeah, one A one B system, yeah, kind of that. But um, so they may do that, but I don't know. I think because going to be a is going to be a big factor in that. Yeah, and I think it, but I think in the same sense, I think it's what um. Like, I don't know, yeah, yeah, I guess you're right that the regular season, it's, like, different kind of to see, like, how he plays in the regular season, but you could say the same for Martin Jones, you could say the same for, I mean, I guess John Gibson isn't really, he sort of <laughs> faltered at the end there, but, uh, you know, there's a bunch of goalies that it has worked out for, um, where you, if you just give them a shot. Um, then they, you know, they figure it out. But, um, you know, I guess we'll have to see. Um, let's go to the Western Conference Finals, though. Um, Shark, speaking of Martin Jones, uh, Sharks and Blues, it seemed like I was just reading here that, like, Tarasenko only had one point in the series, and, like, Mark Edward Vlasic kept him to that. Like, it wasn't that Tarasenko was bad, it was just that, Vlasic just covered him like it was just a beast. Funny thing about that, Tarasenko scored two goals all in the third period of Game Six. So right. it was he, he had one last gas left in him, but at <laughs> that point it well, those, was it was four nothing when yeah, yeah. he went on that two goal outburst. So well, yeah, those, still had it. those two goals were like very um, um, like they weren't Tarasenko esque. Yeah, I was gonna say they seemed like lucky bounces kind of yeah. thing, but um, but I mean, yeah, I guess they do count for something. It does. I mean, I guess it does count for some skill, but but they they limited yeah. his, his impact of what he was and able I think, to do. No question. And that, I think that, you're right. That's a difference. And I think that was a big factor into why the Sharks won was that they were able to shut down their the, the Tarasenko who's their best player, and they're, like, pretty much their only target in the on the team. So, I guess, like, it's one of those things where, if, like, the Blues, if you shut down Tarasenko on the Blues, then you can, like, you know, and you obviously you you score. Yeah, you have the, like, you have a really good chance to beat the Blues. Um, and I think, um, so I think that was the big difference between the two teams, is the Sharks had more depth than the Blues did. I go back a, a little more to a specific time in a back-and-forth game five, which ended with the Sharks winning 6-3. Yeah. Final two goals were empty errors. Keep that in mind. So the better part of the game was either tied or one of the two sides right, was up yeah. by a goal. I think there was at least three, maybe four lead changes throughout the game. Uh, Ken Hitchcock, the Blues uh, head coach for the time being anyway, alluded to the 3-3 goal by Joe Pavelski as the backbreaker. He said... Um, the Bens looked deflated. They looked lifeless. It was tough to get anything going after that. And the Sharks in the third, they they locked it down from there. So that third period, that second period goal where Pavelski tied at three, um, I, I think people look back at that and and say that was the beginning of the end for the Blues as far as they're coming from. Yeah, I guess that's true. Um, I that you did bring up Hitchcock if he has a job again. I was. I think he has the job because they didn't make it to the conference finals, but at the same time, I'm not sure if, um, 
See, this this is the thing when you set your expectations so high is that, you know, they're expected to take an even bigger step next year. And I think they keep Hitchcock around for one more year to see if he can do that. But if they get knocked out in the first or second round next year, yeah. that could be it for him. And also, uh, back David Backus is also going to be a free agent, so they won't have him. They have to make, I feel like they have to make some roster moves um, here just to, like, you know, get players who will perform. Like, I guess Paul Snazny, they got him a couple of years ago. He hasn't really performed up to the, nah. what his expectations were. I would trade Stasny. Brower's been okay. I keep Backus, honestly. Yeah. Brower, yeah, I could do, yeah, that could Brower's work. Brower's a solid ad. He got some good. Brower, Brower played well. I, I, um, I didn't call that. I didn't expect that, but. Um, he's been better than I thought he was. Uh, um, it's looking great. Uh, Fabry was good, yep. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously Tarasenko is Tarasenko. Um, but, yeah, and I, I think <laughs> there's, um, like, I guess also the Blues have the tendency to, like, uh, chill out when they have the lead. Yeah, um, which isn't a, l- great. a little bit of a laid-back playing yeah. stuff. And um, so that's not, like, a prevent defense kind of thing, but... Um, so that's not great for them, but, uh, I don't know. I feel like they need to make some roster moves to, uh, in order to do that, but, well, um, you know, they're, they're going to have to be, and, and first off, before I go to, to the roster moves and all that, I'm glad Hitchcock went back to Elliot for game six. Yeah. I mean, even yeah, though he got beat 10 times in his final three playoff starts, still a respectable 2.44 goals against average, 921 save percentage, Won two game sevens, one of which was against Chicago, the other against Dallas. Two very good yeah, offensive teams. I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, instrumental to their success overall, and he deserved to get a crucial appearance on Wednesday, regardless of the outcome. It was his time to shine. Um, but going back to the roster, uh, roster moves, like Tampa Bay has the better chance of making it this far again next season. Even if Stamkos leaves, they'll be in a good position if they identify and keep the rest of their core. And not only does Stamkos report saying he wants to remain with the Lightning. Jonathan Druin says playing in Tampa isn't so bad after all. I'm really glad how this season ended, according to Complete Hockey News. So if that's true, then all of a sudden you might have Stamkos back, you might have Druin back. I like Tampa's chances in uh, competing in the same spot. And they also play in the East, where Stamkos plays in the West – uh, yeah. With teams again like Chicago, LA, Dallas, Anaheim, Nashville, and you also and, have Bishop healthy, supposedly healthy again. If, exactly. If you go back, but here, so. Here's the key about the big Wild Wild West theme: all those teams that I mentioned that are competing with St. Louis. Don't tell me they're not going to try and improve their roster. So right. St. Louis can't just stand pat because if they don't do anything, if they don't improve on their weaknesses, everyone else is going to improve on theirs, yeah. and all of a sudden they don't have the upper hand the other teams do. True. So absolutely they're going to have to make roster changes. The key is what roster moves to make and not to tweak with the formula too much. That's what they need to be marked. True, true. Well, I mean, like every team needs to make a roster changes except for like the Sharks and the Penguins at this point. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Um yeah, I, I, but I feel like the Blues are in more trouble than they than they should be. But no. I don't know. We'll see. Um, yeah, I'm just looking at their roster right now, their general furniture page. So David Backus um, is a UFA next year. Troy Brower's UFA. Uh, Steve Odds a UFA. 
And then um, Shattenkirk has one more year. Um, so, yeah. But um, I guess they're in a good shape. Oh, and Elliot and Allen have one more year, too. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I guess they're in good shape relatively, but um, we'll see. Um, all right, let's go to the Stanley Cup preview. Um, so we didn't really talk about the Sharks in the last segment, but um, we can do that now. Um, but uh, that's, um, yeah, so like the Penguins, they have um, they have a lot of depth in the forward position. Pavelski, Burn. Oh, Burns isn't really a forward. Pavelski, uh, Logan Couture stepped up. Uh, Joe Thornton, uh, Thomas Thomas Hurdle, uh, Don Skoy, uh, Joel Ward. You know, I could go on, really. Uh, so they have a lot of forwards, too. And I also just talked about how Mark Edward Vlasic uh, shut down Tarasenko. But that's going to be a different story because they like, sure they can shut down Crosby or they can shut down Malkin, but then that means they have to worry about you know Benino, Haglin, Kessel. That has that line has been great. Um, you, they also have to shut down Brian Russ, who we talked about earlier in the podcast. Um, and you know uh, Connor Sheary's been good. Um, you know like um, and and also Latang. Um, if you're, he's not a forward, obviously, but, you know, he's a good offensive defenseman. So, yeah, like, he had 67 points in the regular yeah. season, though he was two points and a minus three against Tampa. Yeah. So, you know, just you know, based on that showing, he probably wants to do better. Got 10 playoff points thus far. Yeah. Uh, th- this is the time for him to rise to the occasion, if you're yeah. I, but, like, my point is that I think, like, yeah, the Sharks could, like, be, like, covered Tarasenko really well, but that's going to be, like, another story for the Penguins, who have a lot more uh, better forwards than the Blues do. Um, but, uh, I mean, I'm, I think it's going to be a close series, um, but, um, so I'm, and I'm also rooting for the Sharks, but I don't think they'll pull it off, so... I think I'm going with the pens here, um, even though I, I want the Sharks to win. Um, yeah, it's like, I, I I love the play of Logan Couture, considering yep. he only had 36 points in 52 games this year. He had uh, some injury issues early on. To, to get 24 points in 18 games, a seven-point series against the Blues, that's huge for him. Um and he's going up against a guy like Evgeny Malkin, who, after going pointless in six straight, has six points in in his last five, and he's earned a point in five straight. So you got two streaking centers there. Um, Battle of the snipers has to be Pavelski and Kessel. I mean, you look at Pavelski; he's scored a point in seven straight, four goals in his last three, uh, thirteen total playoff goals. Kessel's got nine goals and eighteen points to his credit. And he had four goals and six points in the Tampa series. Um, again, the Latang Burns matchup on defense is, is going to be crucial. Uh, Brent Burns has, has been a force uh, on the Sharks' blue line. 20 playoff points, 75 points in 82 games this year. Um, and, and, and Thornton and Crosby is, is, is the matchup I really like to see. I mean, you look at Crosby, 15 points in 18 games in the playoffs, three game winners in the both series alone, he was a top three scorer in the regular season. Joe Thornton, a top five scorer in the regular season, 
and he's got seven points in his last four games, all of which were assists. So you've got a couple of assist machines there, um, one who's already won a Stanley Cup, another a veteran who's still looking for his first. I, I'm really interested to see how those two uh, fare. Um, but there are two underdog matchups that I'd like to see. Thomas Hurdle, five of his ten playoff points, and three of his five playoff goals came against St. Louis. Carl Hagelin only had three points in the both threes, but of course, you know, he's got wheels and he plays on that HBK line, so right. you can never let him out of your sight. And then you have Joel Ward, who's coming off a pair of multi-goal performances against the Blues. Four of his six playoff goals in that series came in his last two games. And Brian Rust, four of his eight points have come in his last three, and three of them are crucial goals, one of which was a series winner. Uh, and lastly, the goaltending matchup, of course, you got two young guys, Martin Jones, a 2.12 GAA in the playoffs, 479 shots against, and a pair of shutouts in the St. Louis series. Yeah. And the big stat with Matt Murray is he has never, in the regular season included, lost back-to-back regulation games in his NHL career to this point. I thought that was broken in the Lightning series, wasn't that? Like, wasn't four and five his Flurry was in net for game five. Oh, right. Was he? But no, but he, but uh, Murray started game five, right? No, he started game four, uh, he started game four, and then he was pulled in favor of Flurry in the third, and then Flurry got the nod in game five. So he got one of the losses, but he didn't get the loss in game five because he didn't play in game five. But he played in Game 6 and Game 7, and he won both of those. Right, right. So he's he's, he's got that stat on his shoulder, uh, tanging his hat on Oh, yeah, okay. Um, So uh, head-to-head, Pittsburgh's got a slight edge offensively. Here's the thing, though. The absence of Trevor Daly could really show its ill effects if they they fall behind early in this series. I think you really start to see that. You thought... Where on uh, Pittsburgh. And who would have thought we'd be yeah, saying the absence of Trevor that, Daly yeah. could be the backbreaker as to whether or not they win the Cup. True. Um, um, yeah, that's true. But like, I think it's going at least six games, maybe seven. Yeah. I'm cheering for the Sharks because I want a former 67 named Logan Couture and formerly James Reimer, yep. who um, last playoff run didn't end so well for him. To, for him to win a Cup in this playoff run would be huge. We um, also have former Leaf. My mind is saying Pittsburgh is going to win, but I'm rooting for Joe Thornton in the Sharks yep. again. Yep. So speaking of former Leaf, you have former Leaf uh, James Reimer on the Sharks. You also have former Leaf Phil Kessel on the Penguins, and you have and former Roman Polak, who yep. is probably probably I think people forget that he even plays on the Sharks, right? Yeah, now. yeah. Uh, f- you also have former. Uh, Bruin, Thornton, former Kessel, uh, former Bruin, uh, Kessel, um, as we talked about last episode. And, um, oh, also this is the first animal, um, yeah. all animal, uh, finals, which I didn't think was ever possible, but I guess it is. I didn't realize how many, like, few animal teams there are, um, in the league, but, um, I guess there are, um, and, um, and they all live underwater. Yep. And also I think the ducks have two formers on each team, Haglin and yeah, Haglin Benino. And, um, I think the sharks have, um, I thought the sharks had someone, but I forget. Um, yeah. So 
There's that. Um, I so so you're going with penguins in six. My mind is saying penguins. My heart is hoping sharks. Yeah, same here. But pens in six or pens? Because I'm going pens in seven. Pens in seven. Yeah, I was going pens in seven. Sharks are going to push them. I know it's kind of lame that we both have the same prediction, but I think it's pens in seven. Although I'm hoping it's just sharks. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we can both agree. Mine pens are yeah. with the same thing. Um, all right, let's go to the rapid fire. Uh, right, so it, there was a big, there was, I guess it's kind of a big trade here. It's kind of confusing. Um, so uh, Jared McCann, uh, Vancouver Canucks traded Jared McCann, uh, a second round pick and a fourth round to Florida for uh, Eric Goodbrunson um, and a fifth. Um, this is a strange move for Vancouver, mostly because I feel like it's a lateral move, um, and they gave up a second and a fourth for Good Brunson, who may not be great. The only thing I can think about is that they're actually trying to, um, you know, blow up the team, but I don't know if Good Branson is like a step in the right direction for that. If that if they are like rebuilding the team in that, but uh, I feel like McCann, like, I don't know if McCann will be as good as he's supposed to be, but it seems like a overpayment to get Gunbranson. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to delve in, into uh, your point a, a little bit more in, in just a sec here, um, but you're right, definitely Erica Branson, when he was drafted third overall, there's no question he had potential. You know, a, a, a big body who um, a lot of people thought would be a solid, intimidating force on the blue line. And I, I think the way Florida was playing, he wasn't the star of their defense. Um, but, you know, he was, he was, like, again, he was a top three pick uh, back in 2010, I believe it was. Just taking a, a look at my notes here. Um, he's, also a, he's also an Ottawa native, by the way. Uh, so a lot of people in Ottawa know of uh, who Erica Branson is. Um, but like I said, Aaron Ekblad is their future on defense. Dmitry Kulikov's your number two guy. Um, Branson to this point hasn't really proven to be that top three pick. His best year was his last year at the OHL's Kingston Frontenacs, which saw him register 11 goals and 34 points in 44 games. In five years with the Panthers, and I know it's OHL versus NHL, there's a big difference. He's registered 12 goals and 43 points compared to his final OHL season. That's uh, just one more goal and nine more points. So in about two to three years, when he's old enough to become a UFA, you you could lose a six foot five defenseman for nothing. The Canucks need size on the back end, especially with the future of Dan Hamu still in doubt. Uh, because even if they keep the 33-year-old, his point totals have declined since his 37-point season in 2011-2012. And his career-high 38 points came in year two of his NHL career, which is in 05-06 with Nashville. Uh, 13 points in 58 games this season, the fewest he's ever registered in a single year. So the addition of Gabranson is welcomed on several accounts if you're Vancouver. Um, Little-known fact about Jeremy McCann, the guy that Canucks traded, uh, he cheered for the Panthers as a kid. 
Mm. And he's from Stratford, Ontario. So not even from the area. And he grew up cheering for the for the Panthers. So a bit of a homecoming of sorts for him. Yeah. In his only NHL season, he's got nine goals and nine assists in a 69-game season. And on May 31st, probably by the time you're listening to this podcast, he'll be 20 years old. So happy birthday, Jeremy McCain, yeah. if you're listening to this. Um, and this is something to celebrate if you're Florida. The two draft picks that they got, which they can either keep to add to their growing list of young players – or if they want to get to a better defenseman than the one they just traded away, perhaps the two draft picks they gain could be used to sweeten the pot for any future deals that they make. Uh, again, Vancouver, a head-scratchy move. He gave up a little too much, in my opinion, for a guy like a Branson. Um, they're hoping that they can cash in on his potential. But if his potential doesn't show up, ultimately everyone's going to be going, why did we give up a second and a fourth for good Branson? Because that's that's mainly what it's going to come down to. Is those yeah, two I think I think it's not that the deal was bad. Like the players are bad. Although I don't know, I I don't think Good Branson will make a huge impact on the team. It's more of the second and the fourth um, that kind of is alarming, I guess. Um, Especially when you're, you're a team like Vancouver and you want to stay young. Yeah. Draft picks are the best way to do that. Yeah. And you just gave up two really decent draft picks. And you see people. And you know, Jared McCann, who's the prospect. In the fifth yeah. and the sixth round, you're thinking, we could have a diamond in the, we could have a diamond in the landmine here, and we yeah. just traded it away. And and Jared McCann is like a, a prospect who's younger than Good Branson. So. Only played one year, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you gave up that guy. But, yeah, I don't know. It's a strange move. Um, I think it's like they're, they're, the Canucks think that they're contenders, but they're not, you know, I don't know if they realize that they didn't make the playoffs. Um, which I could say the same about my Bruins, um, which we'll go on to now. Uh, so they just signed, uh, Kevin Miller to a four year, $10 million contract, which means like 2.5 millions per year. Um, this was, uh, this was, I'm kind of like. I'm a little bit over it at the point because I did read that McQuaid um, or Seidenberg might be bought out or traded, um, or that's what the probably Seidenberg's going to be bought out. Yeah, that's that appears to be the plan. Uh, but that this was the main reason why we were in cap trouble in the first place, and the main reason why we got rid of Torelli was that we kept on signing these guys who aren't. Um, granted, who aren't, like, good, um, who aren't, like, a top player to those kind of, uh, contracts. So, um, in the sense that, like, I, Kevin Miller did play better towards the end of the year, um, but I, I still think it's an overpayment, and even if they do, um, you know, get rid of Seidenberg or McQuaid, it, it's better, um, and I understand what they're doing, but at the same time, I don't, I don't think it's going to work. Um, so it, it, this is like uh, a top four defenseman money, and yeah. I don't think Kevin Miller is capable of that. I mean, I might be I wrong. Mean, I hope I'm wrong. Cowan, who we yeah. thought was the top four defenseman, and now he's yeah. belonging to nobody. Yeah, I hope I'm wrong. Um, He's getting paid like twice the money that Miller is getting paid now. Yeah, I hope I'm wrong. He did get better over the course of the year, but um, 
Like, it would make sense if they gave this money to Colin Miller, because he is our future, but... Hmm. Um, or Tory Krug. Or Tory Krug. Yeah, we may not even be able to afford Tory Krug now. So it's... Um, yeah, so it's just... Uh, it's a questionable move here. But um, at the same time, I'm you know, it could have been a lot worse. Um, so, and uh, you know, we'll have to see. I think they're hoping that they that he's turned a corner, and and this is some yeah. rather optimistic news, or maybe oh god, what have we done? Kind of news. His five goals know. this season was the highest single season goal total according to EliteProspects.com since the year he scored six goals in thirty one high school games yeah. in two thousand six two thousand seven. Well, he's he's never been an offensive guy. He's always been like the shutdown guy. But even as a shutdown guy, he's never been great. So. Um, so that, that's why it's more questionable because he, he didn't play well at all in the first half. So I don't know, but, um, I mean, he did play better. He still needs some improvement though, but, um, yeah, like, is... I could be wrong though. So, I mean, on this podcast, I've been, I've been saying, I've been bashing this guy, so I don't like it, but I mean, we'll see. Um, we'll see. And, I think, and, and his yeah. 18 points in his third NHL campaign was five more than the 13 points he scored in his first two NHL seasons combined. So that's yeah. reassuring. Yeah. But again, his, his personal high for points, uh, came in, uh, 2011, 2012 with the Providence Bruins when he got 24. Yeah. And even that's not enough to blow your mind away. So you're, you're hoping that maybe he's turned a corner. On the other hand, you're hoping, is this the best we're going to get out of this guy? <laughs> yeah. Exactly, and he's all. That's, that's, that's the issue. Yeah, that's and the, I don't. Th- I don't. Glass half full, glass half empty. Yeah, and I don't think. I think this is the best we're going to get out of him because he's only twenty eight years old. There's not that much like hardly ever like a defenseman gets better once the over twenty eight. You know, or any player really uh, gets better over twenty eight. So I think the fact he's six foot two. It slightly helps his cause. True, true. Um, but I don't know. Um, I, I, I don't like this move, but um, whatever. It's like I'm used to it now. I'm like, oh, I guess Sweeney's got a swing, I guess. Uh, but um, these two these two th- things that we just talked about, um, yes, yeah, you know that's five years ago. Bruins and Canucks were in the Stanley Cup Finals, and now they're, like, blowing up the team and making questionable decisions now. So um, it just shows you how much five years in the NHL makes, um, but whatever. Um, and then we all, since we, this is technically rapid fire, but we're in a Bruins send segment here. So uh, you can talk about uh, Chris Phillips here retiring. Yeah, did you know it was? Uh, this is uh, nine years ago since the Ducks and the Sens faced off in the Stanley Cup Finals. That happened in two thousand seven. Wow. Doesn't seem that long ago. No. Um, and speaking of, you know, how much you're going to get out of a defenseman? We pretty much got everything we could out of Chris Phillips. Um, health issues forced the big rig, in case you missed it, to shut it down for good on Thursday. The first overall pick in nineteen ninety six. Announced his retirement, but he's also accepted a front office role at the organization. So he's staying with the organization. His playing days, unfortunately, are done. Uh, best memory, Chris Phillips, for me, Game 6 of the 03 Eastern Conference Finals against the Devils when he 
score the OT winner to force uh, the Devils uh, back into Ottawa for a seventh and deciding game. Uh, the most forgettable moment in Game 5 of the 2007 Stanley Cup Finals against Anaheim when he tried to exit the zone behind oh, yeah. his own net and unintentionally banked the puck off the skate of then-teammate Ray Emery into his own goal. Uh, the kicker, unfortunately, that was the Stanley Cup winner right. when it was all said and done. Um, I'll be honest, this announcement didn't catch me by surprise at right. all. In fact, I saw it coming when I heard the news in November or December after having back surgery that he had suffered a setback. I thought it, either we're seeing the beginning of the end or this is the end for Chris Phillips. I mean... This back injury that he's going through, it's similar to the one that forced Daniel Alfredson, the longtime captain of the Senators, uh, to retire um, uh, not too long ago. In fact, I think it's almost been two full years since Alfie retired. Um, in fact, the last game he ever played as an Ottawa Senator, it was rather bittersweet because we didn't know it at the time, but... That last game he played, he passed Daniel Alfredson for most games played all time by an Ottawa Senator. That was his last game. So, in that sense, it ended on a high note, but none of us knew at the time that was the last time we would see him in an NHL game. Um, He's the only Ottawa Senator, as I mentioned, to play his entire career here. Um, When things were getting tough, he he could have asked for a trade in the end of his contract and maybe approached as to what he wanted to do, and he, he elected to stay here. He signed a, a two-year extension, the final extension he would sign to stay an Ottawa senator. And <coughs> I, while I think Alfie Excuse will me. get his number retired before Chris Phillips, you can be sure if Chris Phillips' number four will follow a suit not long after that. He is definitely go- His number will definitely be immortalized. He is a great figure for this city, and... It's the least we can. It's the least this organization can do for a guy who gave everything he had. So he was the fir- up to the big rig on a great career. He was the first overall pick too, right? Yeah, I looked at the 1996 draft on Wikipedia. Um, again, I'm look at that now. Wikipedia, but it wasn't really the strongest draft uh, that I've seen. In fact, one of the earlier picks. Uh, I think it was in the fourth or fifth round was a guy named, I think it was Greg Phillips, former Aussie rules football player. Yeah. And uh, Thomas Cavalier, I think he was drafted 205th overall in that draft by Toronto. So he's arguably one of the top 10 players in the draft, and he wasn't even drafted in the top 100. Yeah, I'm looking at the... That that just goes to show you how how many no-names were in that draft that really didn't make it big in the NHL? I'm looking at the 96 draft now on Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. Thank Wikipedia. Uh, the, uh, let's see here. Uh, there's Zubris, uh, Reasoner. I'm just looking at people I recognize. Yeah. Uh, uh Marco Sturm, Daniel Barrier. was in that draft? Oh, maybe it's not. Volch. Kov? Never mind, it's not the right guy. Well, little known fact, I think Volchenkov was drafted as a goalie. Oh, really? <laughs> I didn't know that. And then he became a defenseman. Daniel Briere, who's probably the best yeah, in this draft. Probably the most prolific scorer that draft. Um, and Chara was in this draft. Yeah. Potty, Tom yeah, Potty. La- later, um, later in the draft, and we ended up trading to get him. So we yeah. got we got two big defensemen there. Right. Um, Mike Milbury traded that. Uh, Mark Parrish, 
Um, Michael Roosevelt. Oh, that's a different Michael Roosevelt. Um, I didn't know there were two. I don't know. Maybe it was the same one. But it wouldn't surprise me. He's been he's been in the league. He, he's he's getting up there. Isn't he? Oh really? I I maybe it is the same I one. I think he's. I'm just. Uh, I think he's close to 38 years old, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think whatever. He's, Time. You may be right. I don't know. I just didn't think you would be in that draft class because mm-hmm. that is <laughs> a long time. Thirty-seven. Um, wow. Well, okay. Um, all right. Let's go to uh, Dustin Brown. Um, he is supposedly. It's reported that he is not going to be the captain next year. Um, I don't think it's a huge surprise. Um, personally, maybe to you. I know what you were. We uh, we talked. Off it, off air, yeah. um, about this because you were, you thought that a that the Kings may be trying to get the uh, Stephen Stamkos, um, which I thought was kind of ridiculous because a they don't they're in cap hell at the moment. Dustin Brown probably not getting traded, and also they have Anze Kopitar and Drew Doughty, yeah, um, who are captain material. Although I think Kopitar will probably get it, I feel like Kopitar is more of a leader than Doughty yeah. is. But um, I think he's emerged as more I wouldn't of a leader be, too. I wouldn't be surprised if Doughty won in. Not having said I. that, um, I, I'd be shocked if neither one of the two got it. I yeah, think exactly. Both, either one will get it. Um, so and and that's also why I don't think they're going to go out and get Stamkos because they have those two guys. Mm-hmm. Um, Notwithstanding, they also got Jeff Carter. Yeah, and they have Jeff. Yeah, but I don't know if Jeff Carter is even a captain material either. No, but he's he, he can score goals, which Stamkos can do. Oh yeah, which yeah. Which kind of defeats the purpose why get another goal scorer? Plus, you know, true, true. They, they didn't in in hindsight they didn't win their two Stanley Cups on goal scoring. They won right. it with good team play. And yeah, this, yeah, and the, and I also said in in our off air thing that like yeah, Justin Brown. Wasn't a bad captain. He did win two. They did win two cups with him um, as the captain. But at the same time, I feel like um, he's more of the like agitator type, um, and that's not a great thing that you should have for your captain, um, as opposed to just you know being. Well, like, see the funny the funny thing about Justin Brown. Well, he might be an agitator, like he's 31 years old, and uh, I'm, I'm just looking at this, um, da, 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 da. Yeah, he has like also, four years Also, left. Dustin Brown has a no-movement clause. Oh, okay. So, that's good to know. Yeah. He's also a UFA in 2022, I believe. So yeah, something like that, yeah. Um, let me look this up. Yeah, 2022 is when he's a UFA, so he has a couple more years left. Yeah. And I, I'm he just, has a no trade clause, not a no movement yeah, clause. Yeah, and but, um, uh, yeah. he's only taken thirty or fewer penalty minutes in three of his last four seasons. Yeah, which is a bit shocking. Um, but uh, you look is his best NHL season was his fourth in 07-08 when he got 33 goals and 60 points. In each of the next four seasons, he scored at least 20 goals and 50 points. But since 2011-2012, he hasn't been able to surpass the 30-point mark once, though he got two Stanley Cup rings. Um, He's also played a full 82-game season in five of the last seven years, and one of those two years he didn't was the lockout-shortened campaign of 2012-2013. 
and he surpassed three, 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 he surpassed 300 hits twice in his career. And his personal best, 311 hits in that 07-08 season, was the ninth highest total since 03-04, the year he entered the league. And he's gotten over 250 hits in five different occasions. Uh, but this year, I think he got 234 hits. So you wonder how long he can throw his weight around. Yeah. So I, I think they're adapting. They're not overhauling, they're adapting. But you've you got to yeah. keep in mind, though, that they're in salary cap hell. Maybe they do trade him. But it depends yeah. on, you know, how much of your identity are you willing to compromise in order to trade Dustin Brown? Like, is he... Like, the money he's getting paid, is he worth staying or is he worth getting rid of? Right. Well, you also have to think about the fact that they'll probably not... Maybe they'll sign Lucic. Um, Le Cavier will be He's out. retiring. Yeah, Le Cavier is retiring. So those two may be off the books in that sense. Versteeg's a free agent. Versteeg's a free agent. Pearson is an RFA. Yeah. And- Tafoy's an RFA uh, after next year, and yep. Dwight King's got one year left on his deal. Yeah, so, I mean, so they do have some money to work around, like, but at this, and like, Lucic is kind of a better version of a Dustin Brown, so maybe they go around to get Lucic, or they, you know, they trade Dustin Brown and re-sign Lucic. See, um, I don't know that could how... Work. It, I don't know, um, given the fact that I think they they bought out Mike Richards and, and got rid of Bueno's contract, I don't know if they can buy out Marion Gabrick at this point in time, right. because he's eating up just under $5 million a season, not been at his healthiest of late. Yeah. So that contract is tough to move if you're thinking of trading him. So the only real choice at this point, if you wanted to get rid of him right now, is to buy him out. But I don't even know if they can do that with, with what happened with Voynov and Richards in his span yeah. of... A couple months. True. Uh, I don't know the buyout rules really, but um, I yeah. th- I know for sure there's a limit over an extended yeah. period of time. The question is, have they reached their limit? I think I they- thought like like there was like a lot of buyouts like uh, after the second lockout because I think the NHL gave every team like two lot buyouts, mm-hmm. but I think it like that period passed. But I forget the buyout rules now. Like I think it's like there's some like penalty if you buy out too many players or something like that. I think what the LA Kings should be worried about is on the off chance the cap shrinks. Right. In the next couple of years, that could really that could really put them in a tough spot. So yeah. they need to be prepared not just for this year but down the road. And they've already hit the floor yeah, this year. For That's sure. The dangerous part. For sure. But um, the same thing happened. Uh, to the Sharks, they stripped Joe Thornton of the captaincy, and look Tom where they Fox are. Tom scoring the league and playing in the finals. That yeah. worked out well. So they far. also stripped Patrick Marleau of the captaincy, um, mm-hmm. and so that worked out well for the Sharks. So maybe they're they're following what their rival does, but we'll see. The good uh, news is they yep. have Kopitar, Muzzin, Martinez, and Quick. Their core are good to go for the long haul, and Dowdy's got a few years left on his deal. Yeah. So they don't have to worry about resigning any of those guys for a while. True. Um, all right, let's go to our next topic, the World Cup final roster, surprise and snubs. I guess, the well, there's one surprise, if, since we were just talking about the Kings. Um, we have Volinov is on the Team Russia side. I'm more shocked that USA, like, basically snubbed everyone, um, but mostly uh, Phil Kessel. They also snubbed Tyler Johnson. 
I guess it's not too surprising when you consider that Brian Burke and John Tortorella are the management there, but um, and they want more gritty guys. But at the same time, like Phil Kessel basically was the best player in the Olympics um, for Team USA. So I I don't get it. I'm actually gonna. This actually makes me. Root, I'm gonna root for uh, Team North America. Um, I'm that upset about it. So, um, but, uh, yeah, Tyler Johnson getting robbed by defense. And Ocposo is also not on the roster again. Uh, so, um, I don't think, I don't even think the USA is going to medal. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, they're not, it's not looking good for their medal chances. Uh, I think the fact that Brandon defense over Tyler Johnson. Yeah. That scratches my head a little bit. I like Callahan over Kessel. The one really? thing that really oh. irks me is is um, is a Justin Falk and oh yeah, um, Justin Falk is also out. That was a bad one too. Over the two, Eric and Jack Johnson. That I don't get that at yeah, all. Yeah, me neither. I would I would drop those two for for Falk in a heartbeat. Out. Um, I can't I can't. Eric remember. Johnson, was, I could was see. Was Kirk off the team too? What? I think Shattenkirk was off the team too. Wasn't? Yeah, it? I think so. Yeah. Okay, so Paul Hold Martin, on, Kevin check. Shattenkirk, I put I put either of them or the Johnsons as well as Justin Fox. So yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the two Johnsons making the team that that surprises me greatly. Uh, North America, speaking of which, they were, I think they're wise for adding Drew and Matthews to the list. Yep. Tough to pass on against Chenyuk, but it's Drew and Matthews. I mean, the right. way they're playing, how can you not overlook those? Right. No, I agree. Well, and that's why you can't overlook. Uh, um. Kessel and what he's been doing in that same vein. But yeah, um, it is kind of crazy. Uh, so that, yeah, but like, I, I can understand Eric Johnson a bit, but yeah, I think you put Justin Falk over Jack Johnson. But I think at the same time, when Tortorella's the coach, you know, he probably wants his own guy at least. Yeah. Um, now with with Russia, they snubbed Kolachuk and Radulov, which I'm th- I'm I'm thrilled they did that. Yeah. Because Shipachev got 18 points at the World Hockey Championships, uh, led the tournament in scoring. Ivan Talagin is a great ad there. Yeah, Shannon Kirk's um, I, 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 in there. I I think they can provide more than Kolachuk and Radulov, who I never liked their le- either of their leadership skills to begin with. Yeah. So I think they're wise to leave both of them off. There. Uh, yeah, uh, by the way, uh, Shannon Kirk's officially not on there. Yeah. <laughs> I just checked. Okay. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clint but for getting rejected by Dallas uh, to play in the world, so I think Sweden was wise to snub him and go with Ekholm. I think that's a safer really? bet. Wow. Um, I, I would have rather have Klingberg there, but okay. I would. I mean, I guess you can't. You with, can't. With Dallas, if Dallas doesn't allow him to go, like I, I, I think they need to be better prepared for that. And, I mean, I'd, I, I'm like. You can't really go wrong with the Swedish defenseman, but I don't know. I feel like I feel like Klingberg's better than Ekholm. Maybe As, not. I'd like to see Klingberg and Carlson tear it up on the same D yeah. pairing. Um, I, I, Maybe I, better than Cronwall. Even I would I would put him ahead of Cronwall. I still, the... I I keep Cronwall. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, but uh, Patrick Laney on Finland, I like that. That's a slam dunk. Yeah, that's cool. All his speed, that's that's also huge for Finland as well. So yeah, not much. I really have to pick with Finland. Canada, of course, it's Subban's really out there. Subban, um, are you surprised about Subban? Johnson and, and Burns for getting on there. Giroux as well. Marchand, that's 
that's interesting. I like Thornton as well. Latang and Perry getting left off that that kind of scratches. What about uh, PK? What about PK? And PK is all right, but yeah, I guess I don't know who you leave like, off on like this. He was on the Olympic roster as a, basically a cheerleader. I mean, he didn't really play all that much. I'm so, trying to see who do you leave off on this list. I guess you leave maybe Jake Muzzin, but um, Muzzin has steadily progressed. I mean, he's only getting paid four million for LA. If he keeps mm-hmm. playing like this, he'll want a lot more than four million when his contract needs renewing. So. Yeah, yeah. Just, so I like the fact that Muzzin's on there. Also, the fact that Dowdy is on that team already gets him some chemistry. True. They play on the same team. Yeah. Well, Muzzin's yeah. Just play on there. I'm just looking at the roster. So they have two Sharks defensemen and yeah, two Kings defensemen. Classic, probably the other. Um. Yeah. Vlasic and Burns. Dowdy and Muzzin, and then you have Peter Angelo, Duncan Keith, and Shea Weber. So those aren't surprises. I don't know. Yeah, I guess in that respect, I don't know who you leave who you leave off on Subban. So it's a good problem to have. But I think it's I the know. whole left-handed, right-handed shots yeah. that they're concerned about, and that's unfortunate because there are a lot of defensemen that gets that get the yeah. short end of the stick on that. Um, yeah, so it, I think it should, it should be interesting. I don't think the USA is going to win, though. But, uh... Um. No. Uh, JVR on that team, like, yeah. There are, there are a couple of players that got snubbed that I put ahead of JVR. Yeah, if they're in the right position, they, they get... I mean, they have, like, pa- Pavlovetsky, uh, pa- Pacioretty, and Parise are good picks. Wheeler yeah. are good picks. Yeah. Bufflin, but, I don't know. I think everyone else is kind of, like... Head scratcher Patrick Kane, obviously, but um, they're all the rest of them are kind of like head scratchers. But um, I don't know. I guess we'll see. Uh, so we shall go to. Can, speaking of uh, tournaments, Canada won the Worlds with uh, Brad Marchand. Yeah, and that goal by Conor McDavid I was talking about early in episode, yeah. uh, late in episode thirty-two. That was, that was the, the game win, winner. eventual yeah. game winner. That was the eventual game winner. Um, yeah, the uh, and the USA uh, kind of stopped playing uh, for the Browns. As, as we alluded to in episode thirty-two, yeah, yeah they no got beat that by Russell. Happen. Um, and uh, so I think that's it for the Worlds. But uh, Memorial Cup, you want to take yeah. that uh, quickly before I get to that? Shout out to the West Kelowna Warriors for shutting out the host Lloydminster Bobcats for nothing in the RBC Cup final, which also took place last Sunday. Matthew Greenfield who I think was the same Matthew Greenfield that played for the Kitchener Rangers for a time, made 48 saves to earn the shutout well. and the title game victory, the Warriors' first RBC Cup championship. Congratulations to them. Uh, yes, the Memorial Cup. The finals goes in a couple of hours as we're recording this. Um, Red Deer Rebels, first of all, talk about the hosts. Uh, they lost to London 6-2 in the opener. So has everyone else up to this point, though, to be honest. Uh, and they got off to another slow start against the Huskies, rebounded with a massive second period showing en route to a 5-2 win. And then with Brandon needing a win to stay alive, the Rebels got their revenge for their conference finals exit by knocking out the Wheat Kings in overtime mm-hmm. after trailing the game 1-0 with five minutes left in the third. In their second head-to-head with Drew and Naranda, the Huskies got their revenge uh, for their 5-2 defeat uh, to Red Deer with a 3-1 victory to send them to the RBC, or not the, 
uh, to the Memorial Cup final. Uh, they gave it all they had after falling behind 2 nothing in the opening 20, though, the Red Deer Rebels did. Went on to outshoot Ruin Aranda 37-27 in the game itself and 26-12 in the final 40 minutes alone. Five of their 10 goals in the tournament came with the extra man, uh, by the way. Um, notables included Hayden Fleury, Jake DeBrusque, and Adam Haluka. Uh, they were all point-of-game players, but they were minus players as well. Uh, even if their team wasn't playing, the fans showed up, averaging an, averaging an attendance of 7,000-plus per contest. And while they didn't win the trophy, they definitely belonged there, and uh, they did uh, the entire CHL crowd uh, with, uh, with their showing, the fans and the players alike. Uh, the Brandon Weekings. Outside of John Quenville's highlight reel goal in the final stages of that loss to the Huskies, uh, this tournament was far from fun and entertaining for Brandon. Uh, days after the Knights blew him out 9-1 to in their second game, uh-huh. they had to beat their WHL opponents to force a tiebreaker, which they would have to win in order to advance to the semifinals. They, as I explained pre- previously, they didn't even get to a tiebreaker uh, because had the lead for 55 minutes, lost it, and then they lost the game in overtime. Uh, Timmy McGauley, two points in three games, was their top scorer. And he's 20th on the tournament scoring list. Uh, and their power play, a dead and dry, one for 13, penalty kill was below 70%. So like I said, not very fun for a Brandon B. Kings fan out there. Ruin Naranda, a tournament where each team has averaged one power play goal against per game, it's alarming that the Huskies have surrendered a tournament high seven after four games. They've also been shorthanded 24 times, the most of any team in the tournament as well. And uh, while yeah, Timo Meyer and... Uh, sorry? So you called it, I was saying. Yeah, you were... I, I called it Ruin Aranda. Um, they were going to the finals, and they are. Uh, Timo Meyer, uh, Sharks prospect, former Halifax Moosehead, Francis Perrant, Sens prospect, uh, lead the team of seven points apiece... Although it doesn't help their case when their third-best scorer, Nicholas Briard, has two points in four games. Uh, ultimately, the key for the Huskies to win Sunday's final is to keep their composure. Because in that second tilt with the Rebels, they went down 4-2 early in the third. Uh, they had a 2-0 lead. They were down 4-2 early in the third. They had a 5-on-4. And A.J. Greer, an avalanche prospect who left Boston University midseason to play in the queue, thinks he's drawn a penalty. Instead of a Huskies 5-on-3, the ref calls him for embellishment. And he was mad as all hell, cursing at the ref, smashing stuff in the sin bin, looking for a fight. Officials gave him a 10-minute misconduct on top of that. And before that incident, he received two minor penalties, two for interference and two for unsportsmanlike conduct. Uh, On the night, Red Deer had nine power plays, not surprisingly scored on three of them, and they got at least one-third of their shot attempts with the extra man. In the final 20 minutes alone, the Huskies took five minor penalties. And it makes it even less of a surprise that the Rebels outshot the Huskies in all three frames. So, the moral of the story, stay out of the sin bin. Limit uh, your opponent's opportunity uh, to create scoring chances against your goalie. And you have a chance to beat the London Knights. Um and London, in case you haven't heard, the bridge hasn't fallen yet because Tyler Parsons in goal has looked solid during uh, most of the tournament, at the very least good enough to win heading into Sunday's finale. Uh, their one weakness, perhaps, is on the penalty kill where they've given up four of their measly five goals against on the tourney. 
Even then, they're still 16 for 20. The Knights' power play has been a lethal 9 for 20, almost 50% through three games, and half of their total offense has come on their power play, at least almost half of it. The top five plus-minus players in the tournament all play for the Knights, not surprised. And someone different has scored the game winner in each of their three victories. In fact, they have nine guys with three plus points in the tourney, including Aaron Barisha, who has two Memorial Cup power play goals and 45 regular season goals in the OHL. But, of course, the thing that really makes this team tick is their top line featuring Matt Kachuk, Christian Dvorak, and Mitch Marner. Uh, that line has accounted for 11 of London's 20 goals and 29 of London's 53 points. Uh, of course, the star of the tournament is Mitch Marner. Um, before I get into a history lesson about Mitch Marner, by the way, um, who are, uh, based on what I've said bef- um, up until this point, Ruin Naranda versus London, who, who do you think, not on paper, is going to win? Who do you think will win? Um, yeah, still London. Do you still think London is? Yeah, I mean... But to be fair, I'm the wrong person to ask about this. I haven't seen any of the games. So, I mean, I, I mean I'll probably watch today, but um, I'm probably the wrong person to ask. There, there are, there, in in uh, 2009, I think it was, the Windsor Spitfires start off the tournament 0-2. They won four straight to win the Memorial Cup. And they uh, beat a Kelowna Rockets team that finished first in in the round robin. Mm. So, a lot, a lot can happen. But it's easy to see why Mitch is the star of the show and the London Knights are where they are. In his first year, he had 13 goals and 46 assists in 64 games, added uh, 9 points in 9 playoff games. Year 2, 44 goals, 82 assists, 63 games. He had 16 playoff points in 7 games. Year 3, 10 points fewer than year 2, 39 goals, 77 assists, 57 games. In the playoffs, a remarkable 16 goals and 28 assists in 18 playoff games. I believe that's 44 points, if my math is correct. Uh, in his OHL career, he has more assists, 208, than games played, 184. In the playoffs, he's recorded 41 assists in 34 games over three years. And on May 5th, he turned 19 years old. Uh, what's even more surprising is the Knights, in a 20-team league, drafted him 19th overall in 2013, the year they won the OHL championship, they got Mitch Marner with the final pick in the first round, a testament to their consistent ability to draft the best talent available. Because later in that draft, I believe it was in the fourth round, they got some guy named Matt Kachuk who plays on the same line as Mitch Marner. Um, the short list of the players drafted ahead of him are as follows. Travis Konechny, first overall. Dylan Strome, second overall. Matt Spencer, third. Sean Day, fourth. Lawson Krause, fifth. Mitch Stevens, eighth. Nikita Korostolov, ninth. Mitch Van Vandesample, fourteenth. Jordan Greenway, sixteenth, who hasn't played an OHL game at all. Ethan Sapula, seventeenth. Justin Lemke, eighteenth. Likely due to the fact that at five foot seven, he was the shortest person taken in the first round of that OHL draft class. Uh, to this date, eight of those talents not named Mitch Marner. Nine at the most have been drafted by an NHL franchise. As I mentioned, Plymouth Selection, Greenway at 16th, yet to play a single OHL game because he chose to stay with the United States route. And the only players to surpass the 200-point plateau in that batch of selections are Dylan Strong with 279 points and Konechny, 239 points. Marner has 301 points. Um... 
So it's remarkable how much of a dominating force Mitch Marner has been throughout his OHL career. But it's the Memorial Cup performance that really shocks me. And this is and and this really stands out to me. Taylor Hall had 17 points in his two Memorial Cup runs. If Marner gets a five-point game in Sunday's finale, and he's got one, and he got one in his first game versus Red Deer, he'll have more points in the 2016 tourney than Taylor had in his two Memorial Cup appearances combined. If you thought that was interesting, here's a short list of the top tournament scores that Mitch Marner has outscored. Leon Dreisaitl last year. Jamie Benn, 2009. Andrew Shaw, 2011. Michael Chaput, who had 12 points in 2012. Justin Esvedo of the Kitchener Rangers, who had 11 in 2008. Gilbert Brule in 2006. Sidney Crosby in 2005, when he had 11 points. And Matt Lombardi, 2002. Every other top scorer, dating as far back as 1997, none of them have scored more points in a single tournament than Mitch Marner. And, of course, I couldn't find numbers from every single tournament um, because it doesn't date that far back, statistically speaking, uh, enough. But a pretty decent sample size, if you ask me. Yeah. Um, I should also mention that in the years I overlooked on this list, none of the top scorers were able to eclipse Marner's 13 points. I mentioned that. Two were able to match it. Those individuals were Nathan McKinnon in 2013, 13 points in four games, and Christian Dubé of the... Hall now called Gatineau Olympique in 97, 13 points in four games. In those respective years, Dubé and McKinnon won the Memorial Cup. And in that time frame that uh, date, in that time frame that dates back to 1997, nobody was able to match Mitch Marner and his 11 assists in one tournament. And it should be noted that while he's only scored two goals, both of them were lasers, and he's only taken seven shots in the entire tournament. Mm-hmm. So I knew Ruin Naranda was going to be in the finals, and I called it on the podcast last week. I said so. You did, yeah. There's one reason why I didn't pick London to win it all, let alone make it to the finals, and that's relying on their top line too much. Heading into Sunday, I still believe they do. But if you can't stop this line, you won't be able to beat this team. And no one, to this point, has been able to shut down that top line. And if the Huskies aren't able to do the same for a second time, nobody will stop this line, and the London Knights will be your 2016 Memorial Cup champions, which, of course, the answer will be revealed in episode 34 of the Lace Em Up podcast. Um, 4.30. Um, please don't disturb me. I will be watching the game <laughs> London Ruin Noranda. It should be a very, very good game. Uh, yeah, I so I have... Four things that I want to mention before we go. Okay. Uh, first off, it has to do with the Memorial Cup. I just I was just looking online while you were talking. So, okay. uh, Huskies vs. Knights is the first Memorial Cup final in 30 years where the QMJHL and OHL champs will play on WHL ice. So I thought that was interesting. <laughs> How about that? Um, I, I, and well, it should be known the Runaranda Huskies are the top team in the country. Yeah. By season's end, I thought, I thought for, sh- I thought like that probably has happened before, but I guess um, I'm surprised that it hasn't happened before. But and there were also, uh, I I think maybe you're about to mention this. They were handing out some awards 
Oh, uh, some CHL awards. Mitch Marner, not surprisingly, the yeah. player of the year. Yeah, I, 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 I wasn't going to mention that. The Runer and Huskies was coach of the year. I wasn't going to mention that, but yeah, that, that is true. I did see that. But um, also, Phil Kessel says that he's. I've never been on a team that felt like this. Yeah. Um, which uh, you can't really blame the guy, considering he went to Toronto and on Boston when they were awful. So. Um, so it's it's a feel good story for that. Jumbo has also said a lot, of, had a lot of quotes like that too. So um, you feel for these guys. The only sad thing is that I forgot to mention in our preview is like you know one of them is going to have to lose the cup final. Um, mm. So that's going to be weird. Um, we were talking earlier about how uh, Matt Murray like is doing well in the playoffs. Um, Memory is the fourth goalie in NHL playoff history to reach 11 wins by age 22. Mm-hmm. Uh, Waugh had 15 wins at 20. Fur and Potvin had 11 wins at 21. So he's in good company, um, let alone Cam Ward. But, um, yeah, so uh, I thought that was interesting. And the last one is, um, I'm not sure if you keep paying attention to the NBA, but the yeah. Warriors and Thunder Conference Final Game 7 is going to be on the same night as the uh, Sharks-Penguins game. Ah. Um, and the Warriors and the Sharks are both in the Bay Area, so uh, uh, ratings in America may not be that great, um, considering that. Um, well, you see, and, and, and there's a couple of factors. First off, Game seven's in Golden State. Game 1 for the Pittsburgh-San Jose series, Pittsburgh has home ice. Right. But so still, I might be on a bit earlier, but it should be noted that the Penguins Lightning series game seven was the lowest uh, game yep. seven rating in the conference final since Buffalo Carolina in 06, and there were no Memorial Cup games on that night. <laughs> yeah. So that just goes to show you how little people paying uh, are paying attention to hockey right now in the NHL. In particular. Yeah, I mean that is a good point that they are going to be in Pittsburgh and not in the Bay Area. But, at the same time, it's at 8 p.m. Uh, the Stanley Cup Final starts at 8 p.m. on Monday. I would assume and the Game 7 is probably also... Uh, oh, the Game 7 starts at 9. Um, so, they ha- so you can watch... So, the Sharks fan can watch the first period yeah. of the Stanley Cup Final and then switch over to 9 p.m. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't know. I thought that considering was considering the season the Warriors have had, breaking the NBA record for most yeah. wins. They had seventy three, and the fact they were down three one in the series and they yeah. forced it to Game Seven. I think everyone in California is going to be watching that game. Yeah, and to be fair, I'll probably be watching it too. Yeah, so. um, a lot but of people. yeah, uh, yeah but, especially uh, the people who want the Warriors to lose. Yeah, but uh, that's going to be. Um, that shit, that's uh, something, I guess, to keep an eye on, but not really. But, uh, yeah, I guess we're going a bit long here, but uh, it's okay. Um, I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth, and we will talk again in episode 34 of the Lace Em Up podcast.